Welcome to West Ohio Conversations. On today's episode, we join a conversation between Bishop Gregory Von Palmer and conference communicator Kay Panovec. Bishop Palmer serves as a member of the Commission on a Way Forward. Today, he shares his thoughts about the present state of the church, rising anxiety leading up to the special session of General Conference, and the recent work of the Council of Bishops. Well, Bishop, it certainly is an interesting time to be a United Methodist. There's no doubt about that. A year from now, the United Methodist Church could look dramatically differently than it does today. The special session of the General Conference will be over, and millions of United Methodists will be affected by the decisions that are made there. Do you believe the anxiety is building across our annual conference and across our denomination? I do. I would be uh, remiss in not acknowledging uh, that I feel a palpable sense of anxiety as uh, I move in and out of various meetings. And I also, however, feel profound creative energy uh, in many of the settings where I find, find myself. We need more of the latter, the creative energy, and we need to ratchet down the anxiety. And we're invited to regulate ourselves, so to speak, uh, out of the life and uh, ministry and teachings of Jesus and out of what the scriptures say to us. Among my own resources are turning not only to scripture, but also to the hymns and song tradition of the church. And so uh, many folks have heard me quote from the hymn 358 in our hymnal, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. And uh, among the verses, one of them says, Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. So that's my prayer for Gregory Palmer and my prayer for the church. One of those places you've just returned from is the Council of Bishops. So what happened there? We had an additional meeting, meaning a year ago that meeting was not scheduled. Uh, We began meeting on Sunday evening and concluded on uh, yesterday, the 28th of February. And I would say it was um, a robust and an intense meeting. Both of those terms, in my judgment, are positive. Uh, Lots of the creative energy. Uh, I think there was, um, you know, sort of some anxiety uh, in that group, as um, would be understandable for a group of people who feel some responsibility uh, to bring a leadership role to the life of the church, residentially and corporately. But it was a good meeting, uh, wonderful uh, times of worship, uh, Eucharist every day, and then uh, lots of conversation and uh, examination of uh, some of the options that we received uh, to be thinking about creatively from the commission on a way forward. Were there any decisions made? No, no fixed decisions other than uh, confirming timelines. And most of those um, deadlines, if you will, are going to be coming up this spring and early summer. And I refer to the petition deadline to matters that have to go to uh, in the forum to the general conference. There is a another meeting of the commission on the way forward the third week of March. And then the Council of Bishops meets again beginning at the very end of April and proceeding until the 4th of May. It'll be at that meeting of the council that we'll make our decision about what it is we want to bring forward and offer to the church, get it into legislative form, and ultimately the delegates will make that decision next February about what they see as the way forward for the United Methodist Church. So once the council decides what they're going to bring forward, the delegations will be able to look at that material and then when, when, what's the timeline there? 
timeline is once we submit our material to the Secretary of the General Conference uh, in between that meeting in May and the uh, July 8th deadline, everything will be translated into all of the languages that the General Conference uses. So obviously uh, be produced initially in English, that's my assumption, French, uh, Swahili, and a couple of others. And there will be a uh, very intentional uh, simultaneity around this so that everybody's getting it at the same time globally. Globally. That's absolutely important, we believe, as a value and as a practice. Now, will people within the annual conferences be able to submit other legislation? That's a gray area for me. That conclusion will be reached in May, um, I think, in a couple of forums. Uh, so I don't know that yet. It's my understanding that both the Council of Bishops and the Commission on the Way Forward, all of those meetings are uh, closed meetings. Some people would say there's a veil of secrecy behind all those meetings. Mm -hmm. What's the deal there? Sure. We have had all of our meetings um, have not been open to the public. There have been lots of people that have come in and talked to us uh, from caucus groups and theologians, church historians, um, and um, people that have helped us to see varying perspectives. And of course, there's been all sorts of online ways of making input to the commission as we've done that work. Um, the strategy has been obviously not to make people think we're doing work in secret, but to allow people on the commission and subsequently the Council of Bishops, whose, most of whose meetings are open, to uh, be able to have continuous conversations. So if you meet for three or four days and people begin to report out, well, I heard, I heard uh, Bishop Palmer say this on this date at the meeting, and then those same people, whether they're reporters or whether they're just people who are interested, are not there to hear what I may say on the third day of the meeting. It could be unintentionally uh, harmful, either to the person that's speaking or to the process. The intent is to allow there to be a sense of people being able to think and process out loud without necessarily being held a hostage to something that they're really asking in that amounts to a question and is not a, a statement until such time as an individual or a group is ready to make to say here here's our direction. So basically while they're still processing the information and trying to formulate their own opinions that will ultimately be voted on, correct? That's absolutely right. I mean, I've seen through this process, as through any process where people are trying to say, here's the situation in which we find ourselves as an organization, an institution, or personally. And as I'm as I'm getting more inputs and engaged more in conversation with people that I'm not normally talking with, I, you know, people evolve, people grow, people do alter their opinion or position on some things. Their core convictions may not change. Their capacity to say, ah, I now really understand what my colleague or even an external voice might be putting forth because I've had a chance to rehearse it over and over again in dialogue and really robust, pretty fierce conversations. I may start off here positionally and then reach a place that says, you know, that piece is not a deal breaker for me. 
And I've experienced that myself many times, not just in this conversation uh, in the life of the church, but in other, other conversations as relationships have been built in the process of, uh, of talking. The other thing is in the commission, uh, because it is a profoundly diverse group, a profoundly diverse group in which the moderators very helpfully process, uh, helped us to process people telling their stories. Not all people are willing to tell the depth and the nuances of their personal narrative, and in this case around human sexuality, if at every moment everyone is listening. But for the sake of the cause of moving the conversation forward, they're willing to tell it in a group that is bound by a particular covenant. The Commission on the Way Forward offered three possibilities, or three sketches, Mm -hmm. or three options. I've Mm -hmm. heard it called different Mm -hmm. things. Are all three of those options still on the table? In my judgment, yes. So all three sketches are still uh, options. The conclusions, I pray, will be reached uh, by the end of the council meeting, and they have to be because there are some real timelines uh, uh, out there. At varying times, the council and the commission have given energy in different places across those three sketches. And it's not always been the same or an equal amount of energy at every moment to each one of those, but all of them are still possibilities. Will the Council on Bishops bring one option Hmm. to the table finally at General Conference, or will they be bringing more than one? I can truthfully say to UK that that is a point to be decided at the late April, early uh, May, May meeting. So I don't know that we'll get to one and only bring one forward. Um, and I don't know, I don't have the calculus to say the body is better served to have multiple choices from which um, to choose. So whether one comes or two come, et cetera, the key is that everything that comes before that body, the general conference, will be treated as a motion or a proposal that uh, has possibilities for amendment. So that's the thing that I would keep in mind uh, if I were a delegate or a watcher of this process. Anytime the conversation of human sexuality comes up, there can be rather passionate debate. Mm -hmm. How does the Council on Bishops deal with that passionate debate? My experience is um, we're dealing with it uh, more and more uh, honestly uh, with one another. And I think there have been uh, several drivers uh, to that, uh, including what's going on in the residential areas. And so um, there's that sense of saying that as as there have been shifts in the culture around the church, what is the appropriate and most healthy and most faithful responses of the church? A part of that is that Your residential area is your residential area, and yet we're a part of a global connection. And so what happens here is not of no effect in other places. There is uh, potential for ripple effects. So I've been very pleased at the uh, increasing honesty and I would say uh, intensity of our, our conversations and that people are approaching it in a way that says a difference of opinion where there are differences does not have to undo relationships, and it does not have to undo the covenant. And certainly it need not undermine all of our commitment as bishops of the church, active and retired, to the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Both the commission and the council have tried 
in earnest. And I believe we'll continue to say, this is a conversation we have to have about the faithful response of the United Methodist Church to human sexuality. And also to say, it is an important but not the penultimate conversation. Our penultimate work is always around the mission. So we've even come at this missionally. How how can we make choices, decisions, look at proposals that will maximize as the vision, scope, and uh, mission statement of this enterprise has said, maximize the presence and the witness of the United Methodist Church in as many places as possible in the world. That's, that, that's creative tension. Do you have any advice for people from our conference or people that use social media as a way to share their opinion or to um, express their pleasure or displeasure with the workings of the Commission on Way Forward and the Council of Bishops, Mm -hmm. or anything related to the church, really? Well, I want to say that I believe that social media can be and has proven in a number of instances to be a huge gift in connecting people and connecting conversations and uh, moving us, in some cases, out of profound isolation. Uh, I've also seen um, dramatic downsides to the uh, misuses of uh, uh, social media, and they are not different than the misuses of the pen, except everything's instant and it's sort of like there forever, uh, I've been told. So uh, the advice given to me about social media some years ago was that if you put something uh, on social media, you should assume that it's there forever, that it is recoverable by someone at some time in some place if they have enough skill um, and, and ingenuity. My mantra, so to speak, and my code for the use of social media is that I want to say things offer things, and this is picking up on a theme of the Apostle Paul, that build up rather than tear down. And I think that's a Christian duty and a Christian obligation. Even in the midst of places where uh, not everybody understands everything the same way, or even, shall we say boldly, where there is disagreement, how can I engage that in a way that builds up the mission, builds up the church, and builds people rather than tears people down. So that's where I try to stand. That doesn't mean that the envelope can't and shouldn't be pushed in ways that some people would use the term prophetic. But there is probably a line, a chalk line, to use a sports metaphor, where what I perceive as prophetic can be experienced as destructive and tearing down, even if not intended. So my hope is that for all of us that use social media and institutions use it, the annual conference uses it, the tests that we, I think we ought to use are, uh, will it build up? Does it, does it share information? You know, we ought to check ourselves to say, do we have a blind side that this is possibly destructive to someone or un, unintentionally hurtful? Uh, I don't believe people sit around for the most part, and certainly not Christians, and certainly not United Methodist Christians, and certainly not West Ohio United Methodist Christians, sit around and plan to hurt and destroy other people. But in this instant world in which we live, uh, when you hit send, when you hit post, it's gone. So as I say to people that are having uh, relational problems sometimes, like in a family, there are no do-overs. There is always forgiveness, the possibility of forgiveness, and there is redemption. 
but you don't get a chance to do it again. Even within our own conference, there's been some debate over holding conference events in church buildings where the pastor has a strong opinion about human sexuality one way or the other. Um, Some would say it's insensitive or even harmful. Do you care to weigh in on that? Sure. Number one, I would not ever and have not ever uh, gone out of my way to use a particular location or facility to make a point that would be intentionally harmful to anyone or to any, any group of people. To the extent that sometimes there are unintended consequences, you know, I would express regret wherever that's appropriate. Often decisions about conference events are fairly utilitarian. It's about scope and scale of space and capacity for hosting the meeting technologically, et cetera, et cetera. And those tend to be the drivers. And I think if any of us look at a calendar, for example, of the conference, meetings end up getting held all over the place in all sorts of churches where sometimes those leaders, pastoral leaders in those churches, um, have been spokespersons for strong positions uh, on things. And sometimes um, there are people that are off the radar. The pastors and the lay people are people off the radar but it was the right location for a, for another re, uh, reason. So those are those are the drivers of 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 those um, kinds of decisions. And I hope that you know we'll keep making wise decisions. And if there have been decisions that aren't wise, that we'll think them through in future opportunities. As I said, there are no do overs and etc. I would want to say that I want to, in my role and to the extent I'm involved in things. My role is we've got a lot of strong opinions in the United Methodist Church. Um, Surprise, surprise, surprise. A lot of them have voice in the West Ohio Conference. We're a large conference, a diverse conference. That's not unexpected, and it's neither right nor wrong. It's, It's the way it is. And we have churches that have lots of positions on lots of subjects. And I would say not just around the church's response to human sexual difference. And one of my things that I try to keep in mind is that I am the bishop of all the people. I want to be the bishop of all the people of West Ohio. I try to be. I'm sure there are times when I've somebody believes that I've not lived up to that. And so I, I don't have anything that says for me there's a place that I won't go to meaning as I do Sunday morning engagements, confirmations, preachings, building confirmations, et cetera. I just can't have that filter on me as I move around the conference and feel like I've kept my vows of consecration. You once said that the majority of the mail you receive is about human sexuality. Is that still true today? Yeah, here's, here's the nuance. The majority of the mail I receive on quote, social issues, unquote, uh, is around human sexuality. It still runs about nine to one. Uh, So if you take 10 pieces of mail, nine of them are going to be about that and not straight. There are occasional blips on the screen where that varies. And in some regards, whether I like the letter or don't like the letter, it's actually refreshing. And uh, that gives me a little pause, however, that uh, the intensity and the volume of what people choose to write to me about when they're not writing about their own local church and, you know, we love the pastor, don't move him or her, or how soon could you get this pastor out of here? Sometimes I get a lot of those letters. But when it's around social issues, uh, it runs about nine to one on matters of human sexuality. And that intrigues me. The upside inside of my own spirit is that people are engaged and they're interested. 
And a high level of engagement is not a bad thing. What gives me some pause is the vacuum that I believe is created on so many other matters that the Christian faith and the United Methodist Church either has spoken or needs to speak. So this is an unplanned litany, violence, immigration, poverty, etc. We, we actually have some profound positions on that as, as United Methodists, not perfect positions, uh, but positions that uh, I can certainly more than live with. I think they're very faithful, in some cases pretty uh, positively assertive. And so I just sometimes wonder why I don't hear more about those. Um, people write and say, well, when are you going to say something about this if there's something about um, human sexuality out there? But I don't get a lot of people saying, uh, Bishop, sure wish you'd say more about the violence of our culture or about the generational poverty. And maybe they think those problems have already been solved. I can't imagine that. We know they have not been um, decisively addressed by the church or by the societies that are United Methodists. And so I was reading a text the other day in the book of Acts where, where Paul, I think this is in the 20th chapter, was talking about the ways in which he had tried to be faithful. But he uses this phrase, when I was among you, I, I attempted or I did preach the whole counsel of God. That's the phrase I want, want people to remember, the whole counsel of God. So how do we as a church convey the whole counsel of God? God has a deep interest in a great number of subject matters that I don't often hear from some of God's people about. Are you planning on having any opportunities for people within the church to express their opinions related to human sexuality and the special session of the General Conference? I've had um, I've gone to some gatherings and there are some scheduled and more to be scheduled when I'll get out and move around um, the conference in some meaningful way saying here's the work of the commission and the Council of Bishops to date and um, I think some of that will be important prior to the Council of Bishops uh, reaching its conclusion and I think even more important after it does uh, so meeting with our general conference delegation, would be one, but that delegation in comparison, while representative of the conference, in comparison is small. So I'll need to get out into other places uh, with lots of constituencies. And my interest will not be so much um, the marketing, but certainly trying to explain if that's necessary or to offer clarity about what the proposal says. And in some cases that means saying this is not what it says. Because in any legislative proposal, you know, questions help us to tease out, does it mean this or does it mean that? Or what's an unintended meaning? And, and those are important conversations to have that I want to do. Um, so after uh, May, there'll be lots of time and hopefully there'll be some time during the annual conference session to do some of that, but not all of it. What is your greatest concern for the United Methodist Church? My greatest concern for the United Methodist Church is our honing our capacity to stay on mission, which, again, is about disciple-making and it is about the transformation of the world until it looks more like, to quote Wesley, God's new creation. Some people would say the reign of God. 
where not only individual lives are transformed by the, the risen Christ at work in the power of the Holy Spirit in the individual. That's what the gospel does. But also how that gospel, because of those people whose lives are changed, builds community, shapes community, not just for the people, quote, in the church, unquote, but that community helps to transform and redeem all of the communities that it's connected to. So whether or not it's people's places of work or their neighborhoods, um, et cetera. My greatest hope is that we will never lose sight of that promise of the gospel and what God is asking us to do. Now, here's my other concern that I believe, and they're related. So I'm concerned about how in our time, on our watch, and that would be over a long period of time, United Methodists, and I would say it's true in West Ohio, we have truncated the gospel of transformation and we have shrunken down some key terms that ought to be broad for us. Let me be very specific. We have almost in our church defined holiness of heart and life around the conversation on human sexuality. Explain that a little bit for me. We've limited it to that almost. And we don't talk about, so go back to my mail again. <laughs> we don't talk about holiness of heart and life near at all or nearly as robustly about the violence inside of each one of us and in our society and culture. And violence doesn't have to do always with the taking off of an arm, of arms. It, it has to do with words. So that this is, this is all connected back to the social media thing. Uh, do these words on social media build up or do they tear down and do harm and violate people and relationships and denigrate human beings? And it happens from all sorts of positional thinking. So there's no one group or person that is, is guilty of all of this. It's, so so I, I, I sort of, um, let me use the word resent, but I'm just profoundly disappointed and I have an emptiness at times that my church has shrunken down the conversation of what it means to live a holy life to human sexuality. Should human sexuality, human sexual practice be a part of the conversation on what a holy life looks like? Of course. I mean, the scriptures have much to say about that. But I want to say the scriptures are unambiguous about some other things that reflect holiness. I love that passage, uh, for example, in 1 Peter in the third chapter that says, Seek peace and pursue it, for without holiness no one shall see the Lord. Some connection between peace, the heart of peace, peaceful relationships, healing and reconciliation and, and holiness. So, so I think holiness, which is at the core of our United Methodist tradition, living a, a, a life of holiness, moving on to perfection, as uh, Mr. Wesley and others uh, talked about, cannot be shriveled down to one topic. Am, am I living a holy life? if I'm engaged in the accumulation and hoarding of more than I need? How does God see me? Do I look holy to God? 
Um, and you see what I'm trying to say. So, so that that uh, when you say what are my concerns for the church, it's not being on mission and is shrinking down the conversation about holiness to one, maybe two subjects. May I say, even in the politics of the church, when I hear the terms progressive and conservative, not my terms, terms I hear thrown around, we pretty much define who are the progressives and who are the conservatives around human sexuality in the United Methodist Church. But we don't so much bring that language, those nomenclatures into our other conversations, or shall we say, let the other conversations, violence, poverty, et cetera, into how we see people, which, which is why labels are increasingly unhelpful uh, in our conversations. So those are, if I had a third concern, this is probably more than you wanna know, a third concern, it would be our very quick capacity to label one another. And when we label one another, and, and I think we all do it to some degree, so that would be me too. I sometimes wonder if I'm labeling you so I can manage my relationship with you, which then doesn't really make me, as I'm wired, open to really knowing who you are, nor does it let me be transparent and as vulnerable as I might be in saying who I am or what I think and what I feel. Because if I think you perceive me as a progressive or a, a conservative or somewhere in between, and let's say I wanna, I wanna be perceived that way, then I'll, I'll stay inside of a little box and I'll use the vocabulary that is suitable to that. I think that makes us shrunken and it does not make our relationships as authentic as they might be. So that's my, that's my deep concern in three, in three uh, movements. How is it with your soul, Bishop? I am at peace at this moment, uh, not just because I'm looking at you and talking into this microphone, but I've been, I've been working uh, on a heart of peace. And some of that work, being reintroduced to that work of uh, the Anatomy of Peace and the Arbinger Institute, which really helped to frame a lot of the work of the Commission on a Way Forward and the work of the Council of Bishops in this season, uh, I had to take it seriously. I'd read the book, listened to the tapes, and it was useful, but it was, it was for me more words. Now a part of my own spiritual examine, if you will, is asking of myself at the end of the day, or even at the end of an interaction, did I relate to that group or to those persons, whether it's family or friends or strangers, from a heart of peace? Or did I relate to them as someone whose heart is at war? Wow. So right now, I have a, a heart of peace, but, but it takes vigilance. And I don't want to let on that at every moment, every hour, I'm there. I want to be more and more uh, truthful about the state of my soul. Because at the end of the day, as the Beatitudes say, blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you know you don't have it all together, you're in a far better position to ac access the power and presence uh, of the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Any closing thoughts, Bishop? You've been very generous, and I think I've said more than may be useful, but... Um, I said it all from a place of peace, 
And um, I hope it'll be received in that way. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We invite you to keep up to date with all our future podcasts by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. For additional information about everything happening at the West Ohio Conference, visit our website, westohioumc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Do you have a suggestion or idea for a future episode? Send us an email at mychurchstory at wocumc.org.